Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. This is an historic time. This is going to be a multi-year fight. Why is it taking so long to get a screening test? It is not a hoax. It is real. Something that we have never experienced before. Wash hands, wash hands, wash hands. I mean, you're the scientist. You're going to have to tell me. (laughs) Welcome, welcome to Science Rules Coronavirus Edition. I'm your host, Bill Nye. And this is the series that brings you the latest analysis and the science of this pandemic to keep you informed, prepared, and calm. We are all in this together, my friends. Coronavirus news is a mixed bag this week. The virus has infected more than 100 million people worldwide, with almost 26 million in the U.S. alone. But the rate of infection seems to be decreasing. Vaccines are slowly but surely making their way into arms across the country, but there are still roughly 4,000 people dying every day in the U.S., 4,000 people a day. The Earth has just about made one full orbit around the sun since we first realized how big a deal this coronavirus is. But a year later, one huge thing we still don't know for sure is where exactly, where exactly did this virus come from? That question recently got a lot of attention with a high-profile article suggesting that the virus, as outlandish as it might sound, could have escaped from a laboratory, like for reals, people. And here to discuss what we know and what we don't know about sources of SARS-CoV-2 is Dr. David Relman. He's a professor of microbiology and immunology at Stanford University, Dr. David Relman, welcome to Science Rules Coronavirus Edition. May I call you David? You may, sir. It's a real pleasure to join you. What do we know for sure about where SARS-CoV-2 came from? Well, surprisingly, uh, shockingly, we know less than you would think we should know at this point. The virus is a beta coronavirus, and its most closely known relatives are viruses that reside in bats. What's, what's a beta? What makes a coronavirus a beta? Well, uh, like all living things, there, there's a complex uh, population structure to the natural population of these viruses. And in the case of, of coronaviruses, they can be lumped into different subfamilies, if you will. And beta is one of those subfamilies. It's the same subfamily in which the original SARS coronavirus. The severe acute respiratory syndrome. Exactly. Are there others or whatever that don't harm us the way this thing does? Oh, sure. Uh, What's amazing is that 
these viruses, like, like many of the interesting biological agents in nature, have just an amazing degree of diversity. Um, we know that there are many thousands of relatives to this virus, about which, in most cases, we really know little. Um, they don't appear so far to be obvious causes of disease. They appear to be the natural residents and adapted uh, inhabitants of, of animals uh, wide and far across the planet. It's closest to bats. And so did this make people think or suggest to people, well, if it's close to bats, it must have come from a bat. Or is there actual evidence that it came from a bat? Well, these, these coronaviruses, the beta coronaviruses, uh, largely are found in bats. And the few examples that we do know to have caused human disease are linked to exposure to bats. So everything we know, albeit the little that we know, suggests that the most likely home for this virus is likely a bat, and that a plausible explanation for how we first became infected was through contact with bats. So how do I get contact with a bat? I try to catch one? I try to eat one? Yes. In fact, bats are a form of food and nutrition for some people around the world. So that's one way. Sometimes they are um, collected and brought to markets where humans have uh, intense exposure because of the, the density with which they're, they're captive. You're handling a bunch of bats like the way people handle chickens or a butcher handles meat and so on. Right? Exactly. And, and in many they're of these mammals, markets, they have muscles, they're meat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're alive there. So, so there are lots of opportunities for close contact in markets. And, uh, and then finally, people sometimes go out and, and intrude upon their natural habitat, which is largely caves and other um, sequestered dwelling spaces around the planet. And people who spend time in caves are at risk for becoming naturally infected. Are there strains of this virus in varieties of bat near where the COVID virus was first isolated? It's not so cut and dry. To get back to your original question, what do we know? We know two things. Number one, we know that the bats in whom the closest known relatives of this virus have been found are bats that reside in a province of China called Yunnan province. It's in the southwest part of the country. The second thing we know is that the first human cases of COVID-19, as best we know, first arose in the city of Wuhan, China. Wuhan is in Hubei province. So it's not the same province? Not only not the same province, it's not even adjacent. It's about a thousand miles or maybe 1600 kilometers away. Is there a hypothesis about how it got to Wuhan? There is not. And that's one of these big missing issues. Wow. So how did you get interested in this uh, disconnect? I became interested as a, a sort of a generally involved and, and knowledgeable expert in infectious diseases and in the issue of emergence of infectious disease. My own work has focused on disease-causing bacteria, um, how they cause disease, how they arise, their population structure, et cetera. And I've done some work along the way with our U.S. National Academies of Science looking at this whole issue of how do new infectious agents emerge. And so I've been interested in this general theme. And so I thought, okay, 
you know, we first hear about this in late December, it's January 2020. I thought, I know there are people who are very interested and directly involved in sampling bats in China. They will be working like hell to figure out what are we missing? Are there other bats that are infected with maybe just this virus that we missed? Um, or maybe there are samples that we already collected and put in a laboratory and just hadn't bothered to look at. And so I thought, oh, listen, it's not my immediate area of work. I'm just going to wait and, and expect the answer. Oh, somebody will figure this out. The, the, bat, the bat people will be on this. just a matter of time for to find the virus in the bat. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It should be just weeks. It should be just weeks now. And, you know, months roll by and, and the world is, is increasingly terribly impacted by this event. And I just slowly became concerned and puzzled and, and worried that perhaps we had lost, somehow lost the motivation to really nail this down, or instead that there must be extensive efforts under where we're just not, we're just not hearing about the evidence. So I started to look and I found that, yes, there is a bit more diversity of, of coronaviruses in bats than we had thought of, we, than we thought we knew, but no one has yet, it's, it turns out, found the immediate ancestors of this virus. The, the parents are missing. Uh, and, uh, and by parents, you mean the ancestor virus. Exactly. The immediate ancestor of this virus is missing in action. No one now, a year later, can show us where exactly it, it arose and, and, and from what. The reason that we can have these discussions about these emerging strains in the UK and uh, South Africa, which apparently are more infectious and so on, is because the stuff mute these things mutate like crazy because they're reproducing like crazy. So little errors in D in RNA get transmitted. Okay, cool. So this is all possible because we have gene sequencing, right? Exactly. Is it reasonable that there's enough gene sequencing machines in Wuhan, China, to find the ancestor, but they haven't found it, and that's part of the mystery? If you collect the world's uh, the world's collection of SARS-CoV-2 sequences, and you reconstruct a tree of relatedness, a family tree, for all of the human-associated sequences, you go right back to a single ancestral strain from Wuhan, the city of Wuhan, China. And it doesn't take you further back. It doesn't say, ah, there's just one mutation away from a virus that we've also found in a bat. We don't have that bat connection. The nearest thing after the human sequences, are sequences that are pretty far away on the evolutionary tree. And they're from bats in Yunnan province, a thousand miles away. So this leads us to the lab leak hypothesis. Exactly. So then you say, where else might there be viruses and bat samples and the missing pieces of the evolutionary tree? And for that, you would turn to the widely acknowledged well-known efforts by many scientists around the world to collect samples and try to figure out what's there, wh wh what's the viral diversity that we find in these samples. And when you then ask, where has this particular work on bats and bat coronaviruses been done most intensively? The answer is the city of Wuhan, China. It's exactly where 
the human disease first arose, as best we know. So is this some sort of crazy conspiracy theory driving us all wild, just looking for patterns that aren't really there? Or is it actually quite reasonable? And so what happens when you ask people at that lab? Somebody must have interviewed the heck out of these people. Well, there really hasn't been a lot of public information coming out of this lab. Some of us have met and others of us have worked with some of the scientists from this lab. And by all accounts, they have largely been doing the, the same kind of, of useful, important scientific work that anybody in this field of emerging infectious diseases has done, which is collect samples from nature, see what's there, and try to understand it better. And in the case of, of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, we do know because they've told us they have thousands and thousands of bat samples, the work on which they haven't fully disclosed. Now, I don't mean to suggest that this is nefarious or, or you know, malintentioned. I think the important point here is it's not for me to speculate or for you to speculate. It's for all of us as scientists to step back and ask, what do we need to know about this pandemic? And how are we going to go about collecting objective, verifiable information that leads us to that answer? So here, let me ask you this question. You used the word collected a few times, I think, in different ways. When you have a collection of viruses, what do you have? So that's a very interesting question. You could have many different kinds of things. You could have a collection of specimens of the host species, the host animal, in which you suspect a virus. So this is a dead bat in a jar kind of thing. A dead bat in a jar. Or in the case of the Wuhan Institute and, and others who've been working on bat coronaviruses, what they typically collect are swab samples from the anus of the bat, anal swab samples. And, that, and that's what the Wuhan Institute has in spades, thousands and thousands of these swab samples. So let me ask us this. Has anybody found a bat that is infected with this coronavirus beta, the same virus that, that uh, humans are getting infected with? No, no, that's the problem. Really? No, no. So that's the fundamental thing. Exactly. It, not this, only. You said this, but now I've got it. Right. You said this, and I apologize for not grasping it fully at first. The only places on this planet where we know there to be this virus, the one that's causing humans to get sick, is in humans. And now, secondarily, in other parts of the environment that we as humans have contaminated. And that includes other animals like the minks. You may have heard about the minks. They've become infected from humans. But again, we have not found this virus in what we think could be the actual natural host animal. So that makes the hypothesis that it was created in a lab a little more reasonable. But then many people dismiss that idea as a conspiracy theory. It's silly. Why is that? Well, there are two things you have to remember. Let's say that it, it actually first went to a lab from, let's say, a bat before it went into people and caused disease. What are the reasons why it could be in a lab? What would it be doing there, I think is what you're asking. Well, it could be there in a, in a bat swab sample sitting in a freezer, unbeknownst to the people running the lab. They collected a thousand of these things and they just hadn't got around to it, to looking at that 
right sample, the one that had the SARS-CoV-2. So it could be just sitting there. It could also have been the subject of an effort to try to grow the viruses that were in these samples. We humans are very interested in the things that could, could grow in a human. So we might use a human cell line or a monkey cell line to grow a virus for which we're concerned that it might have some ability to cause human disease. In the case of these bat coronaviruses, one of the typical cell lines that people use is a monkey kidney cell. We'll be back right after this. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Meet Janice. Unfortunately, her thing is sneeze attacks every time spring returns. I literally sneezed 40 times in a row once. Luckily for Janice, at the Walmart pharmacy, she can get over-the-counter allergy relief for things like sneezing, runny nose, and watery eyes, fast with online pickup or delivery. No more suffering? That's nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> I see what you did there. Help survive allergy season with fast online pickup or delivery from Walmart. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. What do we do in a lab in Wuhan, China, to keep a virus from leaking out? The thing that people do is they use two kinds of measures. One is physical containment, and there are different levels of physical containment. Uh, and then the second is procedures that are meant to minimize spread. So you wear a uh, N95 mask. You wear a giant plastic bubble with a fan in the back and a filter. And you always seal every Petri dish with a good sealant. Exactly. And there are, and there are plenty of other things you would do if you had reason to suspect an infectious agent that you knew could be very transmissible and perhaps dangerous. So if this thing is a lab leak, let's say all these procedures were followed and all these systems were in place, and it's still a leak, uh, what do we do about it? So that gets to the question, why do we care about this origin issue? Two things. One is um, it helps us understand how best to anticipate the next pandemic. If, for example, we can confirm that this virus came straight out of a bat into a human somewhere, let's say in Wuhan, and then off to the races went the pandemic, well, then we have to redouble on our efforts to minimize that kind of exposure, anticipate what reservoirs or high-risk reservoir animals 
and do everything we can to avoid that kind of natural spillover. If, on the other hand, it turns out it was a lab accident, then we have a lot of soul searching as, as scientists, um, but more importantly, mitigation measures that we have to put in place in order to reduce the likelihood of such an accident. Now, I'll just tell you that humans are humans and, and we're fallible creatures. And there are a number of known accidents that have taken place in laboratories, even those that were undertaking the most careful biosafety measures that we have, our own CDC, lots of other labs of that sort have had accidents in the past. In fact, after the first SARS outbreak was, uh, was controlled and it was, the virus was only found in, in laboratories, there were laboratory accidents in which laboratory workers became infected with SARS and got sick. And in fact, there are even deaths. It's a real problem. How do you keep from sort of spreading fake news about this? As much as one can do to achieve transparency, I think can help. We scientists need to be much more transparent about the work we do, the work that was done on, on these viruses, why we're doing it, and the measures that we use to try to do it safely, as well as transparency about accidents. Accidents happen. Here's what, what has happened. Here's what we're doing to try to reduce the likelihood, but understand that nothing's perfect. And, and I think only when we fess up this way, all of us, are we going to have greater trust in why, you know, in the work that we're doing? Is there something that the investigators of this really wild hypothesis that it was a lab leak, is there something those investigators are doing wrong? First of all, I don't think the hypothesis is wild. As I say, I'm not trying to fear monger. I, I really think that we just have to be sober and objective. And I've told you the things we know. The things we don't know are far more numerous. And one of the reasonable, plausible explanations is that this virus was either brought to Wuhan or created in Wuhan through legitimate scientific work meant to understand these important viruses. And then it escaped by accident. And so I would say one thing that, that investigators really need to do is to go to the laboratories in Wuhan and say, we absolutely need to look at everything in your freezers, all of the records of what was in your freezers, all of the data that you collected over these recent years, and um, including sequence information on any sample that you already looked at and thought, eh, nothing here of interest at this point to me right now. Who are the investigators? The World Health Organization, WHO spelled who? Correct. Well, there are, uh, there are several apparent ongoing investigations, one of which is sponsored by the World Health Organization. They selected uh, a group of investigators, half of which, to my understanding, are from China, and the other half of which are from elsewhere around the world. So it's like a freedom of information thing. It's sure, it's great to have access to all the information, but if you're providing the information, it's a huge hassle. You have to stop working and go find all these documents. And how long do you think such an investigation should or would take? Months, probably. Mm -hmm. Months. Months. Yeah. And so how long ago did it start, The investigate or these investigations start? This particular investigation, the WHO investigation, began just this week, 
just this week. After a year. Correct. They've been planning and negotiating over the terms, which, by the way, most recently are now no longer available to the public. The, the terms of reference, which were available on their website as of this week, are not available unless you have a WHO password. But the, the boots on the ground began this week. So do you know personally any of the boot people? I, I <laughs> do. the people I doing do. the investigation? I do. And do you think they'll be able to get to the bottom of it or find anything cool and new? Um, I know that some of them are very good scientists. I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant. I'm skeptical that they are going to be provided access to the kinds of information that they need. The other thing to say is that to do this right, not only should be a collection of people of the right expertise, but it should be people who have as little conflict of interest as possible. Everybody has some, but some have much more than others. So who's an example that has a conflict of interest? Well, I would say that somebody who was personally involved in work at the Wuhan Institute certainly should be a source, someone that you would interview, but should not be a member of the team. Just to settle this matter for now, what do you think the likelihood of a lab leak that people aren't being honest about or a conspiracy to conceal a lab leak or a deliberate production of a deadly virus? What do you think that is compared to so-called regular old natural or uh, zoonotic origin of this virus? If you had to pick 50-50, one in a thousand, one in ten? Ah, that's a hard thing. One thing I've been critical of is scientists like me just spouting off. This is, I, I know what the answer is. Here's what it is. So I will answer your question, but I just want to say, I don't want to be viewed as somebody that comes to this with a, you know, sort of a, a prejudgment. I really don't. So, so all of my colleagues who, who are just so sure that this was X or Y, natural or deliberate, or I immediately dismiss because all I know for sure is that you cannot be sure at this point of where this came from. But I'll tell you, I think that, that the, the possibility of a laboratory accident is real. I also think at the same time that the likelihood that somebody deliberately released this virus, which is something that people have speculated about, to me doesn't make sense. But do I think the accident possibility is real? Yes. Does it need to be addressed? Absolutely. Um, because the, the consequences for what we now would need to do to, to mitigate and anticipate the next pandemic are very different. Uh, we have to yeah. take it seriously. You got to know where it came from. So that's how you address the problem. Absolutely. David, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Man, this is really something that the actual origin of this thing, this virus, and what we would do about it as a result really depends on knowing more about where it came from. That is really something. All right, my guest today has been Dr. David Wellman, professor of microbiology and immunology at Stanford University. I'm Bill Nye, my friends. This is a pandemic. We are all in this together, and more than ever, science rules. Science is how we're going to get through this. If you like science rules, and I hope you do, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. Helps us out, helps other people learn about the show, helps us know what you want to hear about. So thank you. Science Rules Coronavirus Edition is produced by Harry Huggins and Corey S. Powell. 
Our editor is Tracy Samuelson. Our engineer is Louis Fleming, who also mixed this episode. Josephine Margarana is our executive producer. Special thanks to Casey Halford. And remember, at Stitcher and all around the world, science rules. Thank you so much, Dr. Relman, for taking the time and enlightening us about what we don't know. My pleasure. Three more things. Wear a mask, get tested, and get your vaccine as soon as you can. It doesn't matter which flavor or brand. If you get an opportunity, get vaccinated so we can stop the spread of this thing. Stitcher. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today.